You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Domecast. I'm Pat Gannon from The Insider. I'm here with uh, several uh, Insider News and Observer reporters today. It's our 20th episode of the Domecast. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, I'm filling in for Andy Curlis today. Uh, as your host, we have a great show lined up. Uh, in our second segment today, we have an interview with Joe Neff, the uh, investigative reporter from the News and Observer who had, who broke the story about the state employee. Employees Association of North Carolina, the drama in that uh, organization. Um, and we're going to kick off today's show with uh, Colin Campbell from the News and Observer, who's been uh, very closely monitoring the uh, the budget talks uh, here at the Capitol, which have basically taken over. Uh, there's nothing else really going on except closed door meetings uh, with lawmakers. So we're going to start with Colin. Colin, you've been down there every day. Um, kind of keeping an eye on um, the budget talks, which are now we're now in our third continuing resolution. Um, looks like they may meet the the final uh, or the September 18th deadline for this resolution. Uh, where, where do things stand? We're recording this on Friday morning. Uh, where do things stand today? Well, Friday they're supposed to uh, start uh, first thing this morning. I think as we speak, they are in the uh, negotiating room over at the legislative building, uh, working on some of the final sticking points. Um, as best we can tell, uh, there's there's a lot of silence from uh, from Senator Berger on being willing to tell us what the remaining sticking points were. Uh, last night when they broke things up around 6 p.m. without a deal, um, but as of yesterday morning, Thursday morning, uh, Tim Moore, the House Speaker, was telling us that uh, we're still away from an agreement on teacher assistance, that whole flexibility issue of how can school districts use the money, can they use them for teachers or other purposes, or will they be required to use it only to hire teaching assistants? That's still unresolved. Uh, There's some issues with driver's ed funding that are still unresolved. Uh, Moore tells us driver's ed is definitely funded for this year, so that's a a sigh of relief for a lot of teenagers out there who are uh, wanting to be in that in-car program and having found it suspended at the beginning of the school year because of this uncertainty. So that's taken care of for year one. Year two is the challenge now because uh, there's some discussion of how to fund it. Uh, I think the House side wants to use uh, civil penalties, fines, forfeitures, uh, that sort of thing to be the sustainable funding source. But there's some uh, concerns about the legality of that. Uh, The Senate seems to be somewhat hesitant on approving that as the funding source. So that's still up in the air. Um, Tax provisions all still up in the air, as best we can tell. Uh, So that's sort of where things stand now. And uh, there's some optimism we could get a deal today, but there's also uh, I got a sense of some pessimism from Phil Berger last night that today might not be the day and it, it may grind on a little bit longer. So uh, what are some of the other issues? I know the budget's obviously the big one, but there there were several other issues discussed this week that are still hanging out there that might be uh, uh, that are being negotiated separately that might be voted on next week. Uh, get us up to speed a little bit on that. Yeah, so the, I'm told that there's a Medicaid overhaul plan that's been agreed to largely, and they're actually drawing up the bill now. That's the plan to, uh, to really just change the Medicaid system, uh, which has been talked about for years, but they've been 
struggling to get agreements on. So that'll be out next week. We'll see the details of, of just how that new system will work. Uh, there's also talk that the um, economic development bill uh, may emerge from conference committee next week as well. That's the bill that has uh, jobs incentive grants, which McCrory has been wanting for, I think, almost over a year now, uh, as well as the very, very controversial uh, sales tax distribution plan that uh, shifts tax revenues from uh, urban to rural counties and is very strongly opposed by a lot of the, the major cities in the area. So that may be out. Uh, we may also see a bond bill out next week. We were told this week that there was an agreement on a uh, amount for the bond. Uh, both chambers uh, said that the amount has been agreed to. Tim Moore uh, tells us that the amount is $2 billion, which is less than the three or so billion that the governor had originally wanted. Um, but I'm told the Senate may want less. Phil Berger won't say what the agreement was on the Senate side uh, when we asked him about that on Thursday evening. So that may be out next week. We may see what the package looks like, what projects would be funded, when the election would be held sometime next year. But we don't know whether that would be presidential primary or a May primary or the fall elections of next year. So we're going to see a flurry, not only with the budget, but a flurry of other hugely uh, controversial, important topics in the next week or two, and then hopefully we'll be done. Now, one other thing, um, it's kind of become a running joke in the, in the press room, the, the daily press gaggles with the, uh, with the budget negotiators. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to, to try to, um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but try, try to squeeze get... Squeeze news yeah, out squeeze, of this whole situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the... the Covering the budget negotiations is incredibly challenging because it's all taking place behind closed doors, and you're entirely reliant on what the negotiators are willing to tell you. And the the one time, uh, nearly every day, that the press corps catches up with uh, the negotiators from the House and the Senate side is right as the uh, uh, formal floor sessions are ending. We run up to the floor, uh, catch either Senator Harry Brown on the Senate side, perhaps Phil Berger, uh, Tim Moore, or Nelson Dollar on the House side, and and just try to pump them for information. And usually, we get very vague answers that progress is being made. They're optimistic. They like to use the word optimistic about uh, when a, a deal will arrive. They make some predictions about it being tomorrow or the next day. Those predictions often prove not to be at all true um, when it comes down to it. Um, and, and then we're stuck trying to, to get information on the issues we know about. And then occasionally we'll, we'll get brief snippets of details about an issue we didn't even realize was coming up. That's what happened this week when I talked to Harry Brown. He mentioned just offhand that there were some discussions between Berger and Moore about uh, Leandro provisions. That's the court case that involves you know a, a sound and basic education for every student in uh, some of the state's uh, poorly performing schools. Uh, and he also mentioned there was something about read to achieve. So I then had to jump back to the original budget bills, figure out what was in there that related to the two things he mentioned to me in five seconds, and then try to flesh out what the disagreement might be and how that might fit into the overall budget picture. So it's a, it's a lot of just squeezing tiny little shreds of news out of uh, very non-interesting uh, daily press conferences. Yeah, and then complicating matters for us is sometimes we get conflicting information from the House and the Senate, like yesterday with the bond package. Tim Moore said that the bonds were uh, agreed to, the amount was agreed to at $2 billion. Senator Harry Brown said, not so fast, we want $1.5 billion, and there'll be a compromise in the middle, so we didn't know who was telling the truth. Yeah, there. and then we, we asked Berger, it's, yeah, eight hours later, and Berger says, well, yeah, I, I'll tell you there's been an agreement, but I can't tell you what the number is. Yeah, and then on the finance uh, package uh, stuff, Senator Brown seemed to indicate that there was a lot of movement there, and they were really close to an agreement. 
we we then talked to Tim Moore, who said, uh, I don't think we're that close. Yeah, that's uh, the big wild card, I think, going into the um, final agreement is when they have an agreement and a budget bill comes out, will that include those uh, sort of mysterious tax cuts to offset the DMV uh, fee increases that we don't really know much about? Or will we see that in two or three weeks as a separate uh, thing? I'm, I'm, my understanding is they don't actually have to have it in the budget because we do have a surplus. Uh, the money is there. If they cho- choose not to spend it on tax cuts right now and uh, deal with that later, then that's an option they have. So I guess to wrap up, we'll see it all when we see it all. And I appreciate it, Colin. We'll be back with a segment with Joe Neff to talk about the ongoing drama at the State Employees Association of North Carolina. And then after that, we'll have headliners of the week. Have you checked out the newly designed News & Observer this week? You'll see changes that make all of our products more visually appealing while giving you in-depth coverage and new ways of storytelling. Visit new.newsobserver.com to learn more about the new ways for your news day. As a listener to the Domecast, we have a special offer for you. You can receive the News & Observer Digital Edition for only $0.99 cents for four weeks. This includes unlimited access to NewsObserver.com, mobile, iPad apps, and the print replica e-edition. Just head over to NewsObserver.com, click subscribe at the top of the page, and enter the promo code DOMECAST to receive this special offer. And we're back here on the Domecast for our, our second segment this week. We're here with uh, Joe Neff of the News and Observer, who um, has been around for a long time, and he broke uh, the story not too long ago about Scenic and its executive director, uh, who is now in some pretty significant legal trouble. We're going to talk about not only the, the past uh, couple months with Scenic, but also kind of what, what is ahead for the organization that represents uh, tens of thousands of state employees. Joe, welcome to the Domecast. Thanks. Good to be here. So I guess, if you don't mind, just bring us up to speed on, on you broke the story originally about Dana Cope, uh, the former executive director of Scenic. Bring us up to speed on, on, on what happened. Okay. I wrote a story back in February about Dana Cope, who was the executive director of the State Employees Association in North Carolina. Um, the article was about questionable spending, that you know he was apparently using uh, scenic money, which is money from the dues of uh, current and retired state employees, using that for landscaping at his home, using it for uh, private flight lessons, uh, using it on very questionable credit card purchases, which varied from consumer goods to online games to uh, eyebrow waxing. Uh, After the story broke. The Wake County District Attorney asked the SBI to investigate. Uh, the next day, Dana Cope resigned uh, at a brief press conference at which he said he had uh, blurred the lines between his personal and professional life. And since then, he has been indicted on two very serious counts of misappropriation of funds. The SBI uh, the alleged theft at $570,000 over past several years. Uh, this has probably been the biggest blow to the State Employees Association in their history. I mean, Dana Cope, uh, I think probably most of your listeners know him, if not uh, personally, he's been constant force at the legislature, the face of the public employees, and he was there for 15 years, and all of a sudden he's gone, and the organization is in turmoil. 
So what do you think the, the future holds for Mr. Cope? And as you said, uh, he, he was a fixture for many years at the, at the legislature and, and lobbyists and legislators all know him. So what, what do you think his future looks like? Well, he's charged with two Class C felonies, uh, very serious counts that uh, if he's convicted of both of them, he will probably serve somewhere, uh, anywhere from three to 18 years in prison, but probably somewhere five to seven years in prison. Uh, I I don't think that the Wake County District Attorney is interested in in too much negotiation on this. The evidence that the C- SBI has gathered is 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 pretty clear. It's it documented. It's in black and white. I think his lawyers have the choice between going to trial and trying to cut a plea deal to get as little as possible. And this is a this is obviously big news in inside the Beltline here in Raleigh with so many state employees um, um, paying their dues to this organization and then seeing kind of at least allegedly what happened to it. So this broke, you broke this story, you said in February, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so mo- why are we talking about it today? It's months later now, Scenic is trying to move forward. Uh, what's going on now? Well, right now, uh, the uh, t- uh, Friday, September 11th, is the uh, uh, convention of the state employees, their annual convention, at which they will elect uh, their office, the board members for the board of directors. And uh, you could not have two more different candidates running for president of Scenic. Now, Cope was the executive director. He was a staff member. Uh, the staff reports to the board of uh, board of governors, and the president is the one who leads the board of governors. There has been a lot of criticism about the government, the governance of Scenic over the past couple months since this story came out. How could a board allow this? sort of fiscal chaos, let alone misappropriations, go under their watch. And you have the two candidates. One is one of the whistleblowers who came forward to me with the documents and the story. And the other is uh, one of the board members who did the internal investigation once I confronted them with these allegations. And this board member did the internal investigation, which exonerated Cope, found no wrongdoing in which uh, the, the scenic used that internal investigation to repeatedly argue with the News and Observer, don't publish, don't publish, there's nothing here. So Art Anthony used to be a board member, was voted off last September, and he and another former board member came forward to me with these allegations. Uh, Art said that uh, he is doing this solely for the good of state employees and to stop what he said was a corrupt and uh, a corrupt organization that was not representing state employees. The other candidate is Ross Haley, currently the first vice president. He was the one appointed to investigate uh, uh, these allegations of wrongdoing by Dana Cope. All the documents that he got for the investigation he admits were given to him by Dana and his chief of staff, Tom Harris. Uh, He did not press for any other documentation, and he believed Dana Cope when told that there is nothing wrong here. So he does the investigation, relies on the word of the person he's investigating, relies on the documents of the person he's investigating, and says there's nothing wrong. To his credit, when I asked Ross recently uh, to grade his conduct 
in the course of this mess, he gave himself an F, which is very well deserved. Do you have any insight? First of all, is there a lot of campaigning going on inside Scenic uh, for this role? And um, do you have any insight on who, who might be the favorite at this point? Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of campaigning going on. I'm not a privy to, uh, I'm not inside Scenic. I've been working on other stories since, so I don't exactly know how the lobbying or the campaigning goes. Uh, but I don't know who will win. Initially, I thought that, of course, the whistleblower will win because he is responsible for bringing to light huge alleged at this point. Dana Cope hasn't been convicted of anything, but huge allegations of misconduct within the organization. Hundreds of thousands of dollars being stolen, money being diverted to not represent state employees, but to line his pockets. You would think that the person who was involved in helping fix this would be uh, a shoe in but uh, there's uh, there's a circle the wagons mentality that is going on in some parts of scenic where uh, people are upset at the whistleblower stepping outside the organization and airing the dirty laundry in public sounds like it will be an interesting uh, day on Friday as the scenic folks meet to pick their next leader and try to move forward from what is clearly a, a, an embarrassing point in scenic's history Thanks a lot, Joe. Appreciate it. And we hope to see you soon on the Domecast. And we'll be back in just a minute with our headliners of the week. By the way, to find out who won the scenic election, go to newsobserver.com uh, later today. It's Friday, and we should have uh, the results of that election for you. Again, go to newsobserver.com for the latest news on scenic. So you smash your thumb with a hammer. Ouch! You race to the hospital. And they ask, what medications are you taking? Thankfully, in your wallet is a list with your medications on it. Wife went to safemedication.com, downloaded the free template, and wow, that pink pill has a real name. To create your own medication list, visit safemedication.com or talk with your hospital pharmacist. Brought to you by the American Society of Health System Pharmacists. And we're back with our weekly segment we like to call Headliners of the Week. Um, I'm, we have four uh, folks from the News and Observer and the Insider who, who will give me their who they think uh, made the biggest headlines this week. Sometimes they're people, sometimes they're not, and you'll see that this week. We'll start with Colin Campbell. Colin, who is your Headliner of the Week? Well, I'm going to go with a watermelon because uh, a watermelon seemed to play somewhat of a role in the budget negotiations this week. Uh, saw a photo tweeted by the uh, spokeswoman for the uh, House Speaker uh, showing a picture of a watermelon on the Speaker's desk, apparently a gift from Senator Brent Jackson, one of the uh, Senate budget negotiators who also happens to own a uh, massive uh, watermelon farming operation down in Sampson County. Um, so uh, sort of a peace offering, I guess, from the Senate. I later saw uh, Senator Tom Apodaca, the Senate Rules Chairman, carrying a watermelon around outside the budget negotiating's room. So we don't really know what's going on in that closed-door meeting. <laughs> they may be eating watermelon. They may be having seed-spitting contest. We're not really sure. But I, I get the sense watermelons are somehow involved in this process. That has to be the first fruit headliner of the week. Uh, Colin <laughs> Campbell with watermelon. Uh, ben Brown from The Insider. Who's your headliner hey. of the week? Uh, I'm going to say the topic of solar. There were uh, there was a competing dialogue this week, competing events. Uh, one was basically um, kind of a, a you could call it a takedown of the uh, 
renewable energy portfolio standard and the argument that it should be frozen and arguments against the uh, the tax credit toward renewables um, uh, the next day, there, uh, which I believe would be Thursday. Uh, there was a press conference with Pricey Harrison and uh, uh, Charles Jeter, that's a Democrat and a Republican, and uh, some other people from the solar industry who uh, produced a report that basically said, you know, we have a good case here for continuing the tax credit for solar and the renewable energy portfolio standard and increasing those percentages. I'm going to say solar. And, and, and one thing that uh, uh, Jeter pointed out that I thought was interesting is that uh, he seemed to put some of the stigma on the renewable energy portfolio standard and the tax credit on this kind of uh, dialogue against mandates and against tax credits wholesale, saying that, you know, in, instead of doing that, instead of lumping them all together as a bad thing, we should maybe kind of evaluate each one for their uh, sort of business case. So, um, you know, f- from both sides of the aisle, I thought it was a, kind of an interesting study. Sorry, you can hit the bell on me now. I don't have a bell, but that was way more than 45 <laughs> seconds, which is the time allotted. But anyway, Ben Brown. I apologize. Solar energy headliner of the week. Uh, we're going to go with Taylor Knopf from the News and Observer. Who is your headliner of the week? I'm going to nominate uh, Raleigh police officer um, Dan Hicks. We have footage from the DOT traffic cameras showing him pulling a man off of a bridge, most likely attempting to jump into Wade Avenue traffic um, and possibly committing suicide. And so then he pulled him in and gave him a hug and walked him over to the ambulance. And, you know, the guy was very emotional and uh, he kind of waved off press yesterday as they tried to call him a hero. He said he was just doing his job. Taylor Knopf takes uh, Raleigh police officer Dan Hicks, uh, who many could consider a hero this week. Lynn Bonner from the News and Observer, who is your headliner of the week? I'm going to nominate Academy Award-winning actor Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Um, The governor made a video spoofing McConaughey's Lincoln ad. Um, It's uh, up online, and um, the kicker is uh, the governor turns out to be an Uber driver. So Matthew McConaughey um, serving as creative inspiration for North Carolina's governor, headliner of the week. The governor also has a uh, has an acting background too. His IMDb uh, page proves it, which I think was the first story I wrote when I came up here, looking at his uh, his acting history. I remember that. Something to add to the list. He's very proud of it, I think. All right, we have some very interesting nominations this week. We have a fruit, a police officer, (laughs) a. very, very famous actor and solar energy. One of these things doesn't really belong, but we're going to pick. I don't think I'm going to win. We are going to pick. Today is September 11th as we're recording this. So in honor of September 11th and in honor of all the people who protect and serve us, we're going to take the Raleigh police officer who, you know, maybe saved a guy's life this week. And we're going to head out of this week's Domecast with some audio of uh, the Raleigh police officer, Dan Hicks, um, in honor of uh, September 11th. It's been a great week. We'll see you again next time. This individual is not sitting on a bridge because he's having a great day. If I introduce myself by my first name, and at that point we were just two people. It was just that of establishing a rapport and making sure that the, the immediate thought in his head as I'm presenting myself to him is, I'm here to help. And uh, thankfully he took uh, my compassionate statement to say, you can come back over the other side of this bridge with me. When I pulled him in with his hand like this, he stepped into me and I hugged him for one of two reasons. Looked like he was in a position where he needed it. And it's okay to give a guy a hug. I really believe that. 
You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.